I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and podcaster. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast or to find out more about me, just head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 43 of Jumpstart Your Joy. On today's show, I have an interview with Melissa Sue Tucker of Addiction Support Podcast and 60 Seconds of Solitude. Before we get to that information, thank you for joining me today. A special thank you to last week's guest, Velvet Eau Claire. Thank you so much for joining. She is a burlesque performer, and you guys had so many interesting comments and feedback to give about that interview. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you can head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com, and there is... A podcast tab on the top you can see all of the old episodes there and if you like what you hear today you can always subscribe on itunes stitcher or google play music um, under jumpstart your joy and while you're there of course please leave a positive review this week i'm super excited to be a contributor at the mindful habits blog tour my article will be going up on thursday that'd be june 23rd and i'm writing about making joy a mindful habit and so a lot of the themes that I talk about here will come up in that article. I'm super excited to share it. I talk a lot about making the active choice of choosing love or fear in every moment, which I think you'll also hear plays through in today's episode quite a bit. And that's totally by coincidence. I'm also totally excited that my Jumpstart Your Podcast class will be re- opening for registration. Class starts on July 14th and will run on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. If you're interested, head on over to the website jumpstartyourpodcast.com and you can sign up to be on the VIP registration list. Invitations will go out through that list first, so if you're interested, do sign up because the class may fill up before it even goes to a wider launch. So today on the show, an interview with Melissa Sue Tucker. If you want to get the show notes and follow along with this one, it'll be at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 43. I'm so excited to bring Melissa Sue on. Her podcast is Addiction Support Podcast. And in looking at this topic, it's a little bit different than some of the other ones that we've talked about here on on this podcast about joy. But what I really love about it in being open and honest about the impact of addiction in our families and in groups of friends and with our loved ones. In this show, we are openly starting to address the fear that comes along with addiction and supporting someone who has addiction and bring this topic into the light. This, I would argue, makes more room for our collective joy as as humans, (laughs) as a society. And it's not just really about addiction, and you'll hear us talk about this a little bit, but when we can be really truthful and honest and open about topics that seem like maybe they are taboo or that carry the stigma or shame with them, by embracing our imperfections and allowing ourselves to love unconditionally and also be loved unconditionally, like I said, this just makes room for more light and more joy and more happiness in everybody's life. So even if you're not directly supporting someone with addiction, you may have some experience with codependence, which is something that comes about and can be common in groups of people that have someone with addiction in them. The interesting thing about codependence, which we also talk about, is that it can be passed down from generation to generation as kind of a behavior trait. So even if addiction is long gone from your immediate and present uh, group of friends or family, you may still be impacted by codependence. So we talk about what that is as well. 
I want to thank Melissa for bringing this topic into the light and treating it with such love and compassion and for being on the show today. So without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Melissa. And welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you, Paula. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So would you tell us about what you loved most? As a child or in school, what were your early sparks of joy? So some of my earliest memories where I just felt pure bliss, I'll paint the picture a little bit. So I grew up in Indiana and I remember we had this big, huge yard, grass everywhere. And there was a couple areas in our yard where it kind of dipped down a little bit. And we would, so I say we, my mom was like the town babysitter. So Mm. all the kids would come over and stuff and we would like lay in the grass and watch as the clouds float over and form different like different things. So, and I'm 40 years old. So I remember like laying there and singing Michael Jackson beat it or, you know, (laughs) yeah. So those were some of my, you know, just blissful being in the moment Mm -hmm. and nothing else matters and just being creative with other people like that. I would say probably my number one. I have a couple of others though. So I grew up in this town where my dad's aunt was the librarian and I spent so much time at the library and I love, I love to read then and I love to read now. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of your favorite books as a kid? Well, I loved Judy Bloom when I got mm-hmm. to be fourth and fifth grade. Yes. Before that, I used to love to read like the Peanuts little cartoons. Yeah, the little comic. Yeah, which is totally random. I mean, I would I would read anything. It really didn't matter. But I used to get lost in comics. Mm. Now that I think about it, and like the Sunday paper, I used to love reading mm. comics in the Sunday paper. <laughs> Me too. And I love Garfield. Yes. So yeah, those were some of my favorite things. And the the other thing is, I'm the oldest of five kids, so I have four younger brothers, and I love to like teach them things. I was always teaching them how to do gymnastics or. It's just the most random things, but I loved empowering them with mm-hmm. knowledge and in all the kids in the neighborhood, like I said, my mom was the town babysitter. So that was one of my favorite things to do. So would you like to tell us about what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, I am a wife and a mother and those are very important to me. But as far as my life's work right now, I'm a podcaster and I have addiction support podcast, which is a weekly podcast where sometimes I talk, sometimes I read a little bit, sometimes I interview other people. And just the goal of that, honestly, is because I wanted to understand addiction. I have two brothers. One of them passed away in 2012 and he had addiction and probably some other mental illnesses his entire life. And then my youngest brother is 10 years younger than me. He's currently addicted to heroin and had been in and out of jail. And like, as somebody that I don't think I have addiction, like I can have a drink and walk away. I can do different things and walk away. So I didn't understand why they were making those choices. And being the oldest and being type A, I had a lot of judgment on it. And so we can get into that a little bit later if you want as much as you want or as much as you don't want. But so I started addiction support podcast because I wanted to help other people that loved their friends or family that were going through addiction and didn't really understand that. And then that's been a really healing thing for me because I realized I, you know, if I did have an addiction, it's definitely around codependency. So I was able to understand that and do a lot of healing around that. So that's addiction support. And then I also have a daily one minute meditation podcast and it's 60 seconds of solitude. And I started that one just because 
some weeks I would interview people and I'm so empathetic. Like I can't just separate myself. I'm, I'm right there in the conversation with them. So when I'm hearing some of the things that people have gone through with their addiction, it's just breaking my heart and I needed a lighter outlet. So I started 60 Seconds of Solitude to do that. And that one's a lot of fun. And now I'm working on another thing to help real estate agents with their social media and with their online presence so that they can be more effective in getting their real estate leads too. So it's totally yeah. random. <laughs> no, no, that sounds like a lot of fun. So you talked a little bit about your brothers and I'm, I'm sorry, your loss. Was it the loss of your brother or maybe the pain from both of them that led you to then become more curious about addiction and speak out about it? You know, like, would you like to dive in a little bit there and talk about how it came about for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when my brother passed in 2012, I wish I could say it was a surprise, but it really wasn't. In that, I just got really angry. I got really numb around that. And it was just kind of like, I don't know. I think that we don't really know as, you know, I'm going to say Americans, but we we don't know how to deal with our pain or how to deal with our sorrow or grief, really, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and as we were talking about this earlier, but like as a personal growth junkie, it's like, oh, I got to be positive and I have to say these affirmations and I have to keep my mind in this space. And I will tell people like, I don't believe that that's true. I don't think we need to dwell in the negativity, but we do need to feel our emotions 100 percent yes. for that power, you know. And so after my brother passed, I didn't do anything with addiction at that point, but I was working probably 65, 70 hours a week. Like I was nonstop. And a highly, like just a really stressful job. And I ended up burning out and yeah. I didn't feel my emotions around him. And then I didn't have anything left for my job. Mm. And yeah. that was hard. Luckily, my husband just wants me to be happy. And I remember coming home at one point, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. He's like, okay. I'm like, I think I need to quit my job. He's like, okay, I can't quit my job. He's like, okay. So I think it was probably six months after my brother passed that I actually quit my job. How wonderful that you have a husband that truly wants to put your happiness first. Like that is a blessing and a gift. And, you know, I feel for people who don't have that same kind of support at home, because I think that makes all the difference for you to be able to say, okay, even if you don't know what the thing is that you want to go after, like, just knowing there's support there to do it is, is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think that you might be able to relate. Sometimes people think this is a little woo-woo, but I created that reality for myself. Like, mm -hmm. I'm 40 years old mm -hmm. now. It took me 30 some odd years to be able to get to a place where I was just able to say, I want a husband. I want a man in my life that loves me unconditionally. And I want a man in my life that supports me in what I want to go do. And there's certain things that I want. And just to be able to be okay with that mm -hmm. and then to be able to embrace it when it showed up, like that in and of itself was a struggle probably for another conversation. But I think one thing that's really important for people, you know, and for your listeners, like if you have something that you want to do or you want to be, don't tell yourself that you can't or don't bring up reasons why you're not able to. Like mm. there is a reason why you want to do that. Yeah, there really is. And and that's one of the things that, I mean, at least in my own work, in my own show, knowing, I guess, really in my own personal work, like I hit a rock bottom point. And it was one of those things where I was completely burnt out, but also then around the birth of my son, that was a really rough time. And it was realizing that I wanted, and I don't mean this in like a capitalist way, like, but that I wanted more, like spiritually, I wanted more, like emotionally, I needed more. 
than what I was getting from my job or from what I had in that moment. So I like to call that kind of like the inner joy advocate that like something literally wakes up inside of you and says, "Uh uh-uh, no, there's more. And more here involves being happy. Like, it's okay to want to be happy. Yeah, like, right. So I don't know if that was some of what you felt, too. But it seems like you do have to, I mean, at least for me, I had to get to that point where it was okay to admit that happiness was super important. Seriously. And it's weird, but I think, I don't know if guys struggle with it as much, but I think that women struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think it's important that we share our stories, though, because then other people can connect with that and realize that they're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm doing with addiction support. But I ended up getting pregnant and having my son. That was something that we chose into. And I was super excited to be able to stay home and be with him. And then fast forward a little bit. I think my son was about six months old and my youngest brother was back in jail for heroin. And I was just, you know, type A, oldest sister. This can't be happening. So I went on my path. I thought I was going to open a rehab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, that's going to take up a lot of my time if I do it the way that I would want to do it. And I don't want to take that away from my kids. So then that's when I started addiction support podcasts because I wanted to understand, I think two things. One, I wanted to understand. The other thing is I'm a firm believer that whatever we focus on is what we're going to create more of. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to focus on success and I wanted to focus on people that are in recovery and doing really amazing things and people who you know, love other people who are in recovery and doing really amazing things. And so that's what I've been focusing on with addiction support. And yeah, one of the things that came out of it is just codependency and how ingrained that can be. And one thing that I've learned is that if anyone has addiction in your family or somebody that you love, the whole family, I believe, needs therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk I mean, and there's, I guess I'm, I'm agreeing from the bottom of my heart because I've been in a family where there has been alcoholism. So that would be the addiction that was prevalent in my ex-husband's family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like we can't, I mean, not me personally, but it's almost like as a society, we don't really talk about it. And we surely are not really talking about then the effects, like what you're saying, that if somebody in the family has an addiction, that everybody around them is affected and that that personality type, and I'm hoping to do this justice, but that there is something about having addiction in a family that then everyone makes, they accommodate that person usually in some way that then becomes, it it kind of knocks the healthiness out of the relationships across the board in the family. And I don't know if if, if that's how you would define codependency, but if you wanted to talk a little bit about that, I think like we're missing the awareness of what happens when there's an addiction in a group of people. And usually that means a family, but it could also be in your group of friends. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. It's, I think that what I realized is I didn't know how to set boundaries, Mm, Yeah, you know, and on one hand it feels like, well, I love them. So, you know, I want them to know that I love them and stuff. On the other hand, what I realized is it's really because I'm trying to control them and the situation and things that are completely outside of my control. Mm, Right. Yeah. Just so everybody knows I am not, I've self-educated. However, I'm not a therapist or I don't have a degree in this, but what I've realized and what I've come to learn is just that, you know, and this is goes back to 60 seconds too. And why I think they're so important together is when we're able to take that moment and connect with ourselves and ask ourselves, like, what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I need right now? And stop thinking about like, okay, I have to figure out what they're thinking or what they're going to do, but just go within 
Hmm. Yeah. You know, and honor whatever comes up for us. If it's, I need some time alone or no, I don't like being called certain names or I, when I'm treated this way, I feel bad. And then figuring out how to set healthy boundaries around that and really not caring about what the other person's going to do or what they think or how they feel and not in a negative way, just in a, okay, I'm going to respect their base. They're allowed to feel whatever they're going to feel and I'm going to take care of me. Yeah. You know, and I know you guys, you've talked about this before in past episodes, but it's really none of our business, what other people think of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that's something that you grow into. And just as soon as you've realized it's comfortable, then something happens and you realize maybe it's not and you grow a little bit more. There's a great book called Essentialism and that's more for business, but I think it's really has a lot to do with codependency. I highly recommend that book. Yeah. I will link it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah. you have an Audible account. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're on right. there. Uh, Oh, they are. That's cool. Yeah. So the other one that I recommend on Audible is the Byron Katie Loving What Is, because that really talks about the like three types of business, which is, you know, your business, meaning your personal business and then everybody else's business. And then to use the word God, but that could be the universe. It could be whatever, you know, the creation's business, but really something that nobody has any control over, except if you believe in a higher being, that that being. And really that I find that kind of setup really helpful because if I'm circling and spiraling into something that I have no control over, I can check it, right? And say, is this my business? I need to pick up that book. You're the second or third person that's mentioned that to me in the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. So that's the sign. Yeah. I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is really good. I, I mean, I know I said this on the episode with Velvet in episode 42, but it's good when you can hear Byron Katie speaking it. And it's also beautiful because one of, I think it's her most current husband, gives the setup for it and who she was before she made the realization that she made. I'll leave that as a secret. <laughs> Go read it. <laughs> but like, it's just really powerful. And like, there's a lot of love and really amazing love in the whole thing. The way she approaches it and the way he talks about her. And it's just, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, I'm in. I'll have to get the yeah. audio back. <laughs> the work of Byron Katie. Yeah, and I also love like the other angle that I've heard on that same idea of like kind of kind of minding your own business, if you will, but is like taking 100% responsibility for yourself, your reaction and what you say, meaning you can't control what everybody else thinks of it. But like if I say something, I start worrying, well, what did that person think of what I said? Or did I hurt, you know, I never intend to hurt anyone's feelings, but like really having that soundtrack running back through my head of like, did I say that right? What if it didn't make it like, and when you can let go of that, wow, then yeah, it's easier to deal with everything, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a little bit different take on responsibility too. It's it's coming from mm-hmm. responsible or being able to respond. So it's like not necessarily a beat up session because sometimes if I take responsibility, it's like, oh, I did that wrong. Right. You know, it's just like, okay, this happened. And then Mm -hmm. I said this and then he said, you know, and it's just kind of doing it as if you were writing out like a newspaper article. Yeah, I like that. We think through it like that. It's like, okay, take the emotion off and just talk about what happened. And then it's, like, oh, well, I had all these other choices and now I can make, you know, come from true choice versus just coming from like reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And stripping the emotions out is so important. I like that as kind of even a practice. Like if you find yourself spiraling, I might have to borrow that. <laughs> <laughs> I love then that you kind of got curious as it sounds like as to what was coming up for you around how does a family support each other and someone who has an addiction? And what does it look like? Because you're right, as a society, we don't really talk about what happens throughout. And so 
Yeah, if somebody's curious about maybe is my family in the midst or throes of, of codependency, how would you suggest someone kind of, I don't know, what? how can you look at that and maybe understand if it is happening in your family? I would say if you find yourself doing or behaving or thinking things that you don't want to do, or you feel like really obligated to do certain things or hang out with certain people and you don't feel good about it, then you probably have codependency going on. I mean, everybody that I've talked to about addiction has said, well, everybody in the area of codependency has said that codependency is by far the biggest addiction there is. Codependent No More is a great book. I love that book. Yeah, I think I'm actually probably this week going to have another episode on it, but I did an episode a while back where I just read part of it so that people could understand if they had it or not. There's groups. I have never personally been to a 12-step group, but I've heard really wonderful things. There's Al-Anon. There's different groups that you can go to. There's therapists that you can talk to. If you go to church, you know, your your religious leader. There's a lot of resources out there. I think you're right, though. I think that I have not had a shortage of people to interview because everybody I talk to is like, oh, you know, let me share how addiction's in my family. But it's something that people just, I don't feel like we talk about it enough. Mm-mm. I agree. I don't feel like we realize how much it runs our life. I don't feel like, you know, and probably part of that is because if we did, we would have to understand and get our arms around the codependent part of it Mm -hmm. and things would have to change. And I think a lot of times our subconscious don't want to (laughs) change. They don't want to stop doing what they do. They want to keep doing because that's how, you know, they protect us. So One of the people that I interviewed, she said, we're part of a club that isn't very exclusive and nobody wants to be a part of. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I'm just pondering on like having been and no longer am in a family, meaning it was my ex-husband's family, but like really looking at how even so obviously codependency in play and also an entire network was set up. And I don't even know that the people involved were so aware of how it worked, but that really enabled this person. And then we wouldn't talk about it with her. Right. Like that just was taboo. Mm. But somehow allowing behavior to continue was not. And so it was so confusing. And and I knew that that couldn't be something that couldn't be a scenario that I raised my own children in. They weren't there was no child yet. (laughs) Like I went that far for me and I was like, yeah, I can't do this. (laughs) But I think that the problem becomes is like it's kind of a closed what a almost a closed ecosystem because nobody really wants to tip the boat, but maybe it's because they don't even really know what would happen if things became different, you know, in their nuclear family or group of friends or whatever. So I don't know, I guess I'm just reflecting, but it is really hard to break the code and, and to say, yeah, I can't do that. And like, that isn't how I want to support someone that I love. Yeah. Some of it, people don't even see or realize, I think, especially some of these instances, it's generations. Deep, you know, and it's like, oh, well, like you said, we don't talk about this, or everybody needs to think that our family's perfect, or Mm -hmm. different things. And I think we're coming into a newer, I want to say new age, because I think that happened more in the 60s and 70s, but we're Mm -hmm. coming into a place where it's like, okay, we, we talk about our feelings more and we talk about how that impacts our health and how it impacts, you know, our work and everything. And so I think that it's time we have to, and hopefully more and more people do. Hopefully we, fix this for future generations because get off into my little tangent here. There's a lot of addictions out there and some of them are hurtful and painful and some of them are downright deadly. And, you know, if we don't get in front of them for the next generation, who knows what they're going to have next, you know? Yeah. Well, and it is, it's a level of acceptance and meaning 
if it feels like taboo now, then we're not going to talk about it. But if we say, you know what, this is something that it happens. People have addictions. Probably more people than we know mm-hmm. are addicted to something in some way. And so what happens when we just start talking about it and admitting, you know, there's no shame. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a disease, right, that people can treat. And that if we're all aware of, at least we can support each other through it. Absolutely. And addiction is, I've had it explained to me like an allergic reaction. I could be sitting down having a beer with somebody else and I can walk away after one or two beers. That person might not be able to walk away and it has nothing to do with their choices. It has nothing to do with morality. It has to do with what happens chemically inside of their body. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, then what happens after that is a whole, you know, neurochemical and there's a bunch of stuff out there on all of that. But I think the most important thing to remember is this person has a disease and not everybody that drinks a lot or does drugs and does terrible things has addiction either. There's that side of it too. But for people that have addiction, it's a disease. And I don't believe that the drugs or the alcohol or whatever they're addicted to is the problem. I think that whatever they're addicted to is on a lot of levels solving the problem for them. Mm. They're self-medicating with it. And I think that my experience and people I've talked to, it's really comes back to going within and connecting, you know, healing whatever pain is still there from childhood. Sometimes it's healing gut issues. Sometimes it's, you know, who knows? There's Mm -hmm. always an underlying thing, though, that it seems like when people want to get a hold of that, they're able to, I mean, recovery is possible and people are able to heal themselves and maybe they aren't able to drink again. Like Maybe that would trigger it and it would come back, but they're able to heal themselves and they're able to have a healthy life. Yeah. But in the book that comes up for me, which isn't specifically around like drugs or alcohol, but it's Women, Food and God by Janine Roth. Mm. And if you haven't read it, I mean, my real takeaway is kind of what you were just saying is that for women or any, I mean, in this book, women, but for people who are addicted to food, it's not about the food. You're right. It might be right. But what else is going on inside that you, like you, you said, maybe is, are you trying to numb something? Are you trying to, you know, push feelings down, you know, and if you just felt some of the emotions and, and worked through them, what could be possible, mm-hmm. right? So I think, and maybe it's not specifically around addiction, but maybe that's around overeating and why would someone overeat? But I think there's a similarity there in that sometimes it's not really about the thing that the person is doing, but really what they can't control about something. Or maybe it is a feeling of no control over something that is causing them to do something else. But yeah. yeah. And if it's not you that has the addiction, right? If it's somebody that you love, but you're obsessed on what they're doing or what they might go do, it's time to go within and stop mm-hmm. thinking about them. Like there's something going on energetically or emotionally within yourself. And like once you're able to heal that, what that other person's doing, they either magically stop doing it, <laughs> right? Or yeah. it becomes no longer something that runs you. For example, like done a lot of work on myself over the past few months and my brother got out of jail. I think I want to say the beginning of May. I could be wrong on that date, but I had the most amazing conversation with him. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, I just love you. I just want to have a relationship with you. Whether or not you use is your choice. And it's, you know, obviously I want you to be clean and sober. However, like I have no more energy on whether or not you use or not. And then, you know, universe gave me a test. And so he went back to using and he went back to being homeless. And so this has been going on for a month and a half now, Mm. where before I would have lost sleep and I would have been crying and maybe trying to find him or maybe just so worried about it. I'm just, he's a grown man. Like those are his choices. 
Yeah. You know, and to be able to be in that place and be okay with that, anybody that's listening that knows, you know, you love an addict, you know what I'm talking about, to be able to be calm and like truly have that be okay is life changing. Mm. You know, because I have all this energy now that I can focus on my children and I can focus on my business versus focusing on stuff that I have no control over. Yeah. And I'm sensing you're coming from a place with deep love for him and obviously for yourself that this is about really following love to an extent. So much so. And I am not enabling him. I am not providing Mm -hmm. him with money. I'm not, there's none of that. It's just pure, like you said, pure love. I have something that I do. I kind of want to share right now. Like if somebody's, Mm -hmm. if I love someone in there in a bad place, or if I'm really angry with someone, (laughs) this especially works. But I just, I have this prayer that I do and it's, you know, God surround them with light and love. And I'll say that over and over and over again, depending on how angry I am or frustrated or scared I am to the point where I just feel love vibrating from me. Mm-hmm. And that changes things too. You know, the the, yeah. the thoughts that we think about people, like they become what we expect them to become. So it's really important, especially when we love somebody that's an addict, that we see them in a higher place and hold them to a higher standard because that's where they'll be. Yeah. Yeah. And it does make a huge difference. I can only imagine from anyone's standpoint, if you're sending them a message of unconditional love, that maybe that at least they know you're a safe space and someone that loves them and that someone's on their side. And if it does maybe change a decision somewhere along the way when they know, hey, this person believes in me. And yeah, I don't know. He knows that if and when he's ready to get help, I'm somebody that he can come to and I'll move heaven and earth to get him the help that he needs. And it doesn't matter what he's done. Like, I love him. I forgive him. It doesn't matter. That's beautiful. It's good for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Health-wise, yeah. I feel better. My body's like responding to that. I, there's only so much stress that you can put yourself under. And I don't know, maybe that's selfish, but I just think that it's a healthier place. I like coming from that place better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things that ties in with like, so it is in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. Like if you're coming at it mm-hmm. and the first thing now is love, then that's what is right it's not it's for you it's for him it's for everybody so yeah i've got the beautiful space to hold even though i'm sure that it was kind of kind of like what i like to say about joy is that it's often it's not a naive choice it's like oftentimes the hardest thing you will ever do and it sounds like this is that it's this is that space as well for sure and i think that sometimes you know, following our passion is really great and really exciting and people know exactly what that is i didn't know what my passion was so I followed something that I was really angry and had a, real, a lot of negative emotions around to be able to go through it and find, you know, my joy and my passion in that. And so I just, you know, if anybody's listening and you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing or whatever, find something that you're really pissed off about and go <laughs> see what you can do that's positive around that because you might be able to do a lot of good and, and find yourself in all that. Mm. Mm, I like this. Yeah. I don't know. This is, this hasn't come up on any episodes before. Ooh, but, in the first yeah. <laughs> so maybe talk a little bit. I mean, if you want to share your story or more about like what you've seen happen there, because I think that's a really interesting thing from a coaching standpoint. It's awesome because you're going into an emotion to get really curious about what it is that, okay, there's energy there. <laughs> So what is it? Like, why am I mad about this thing? What pisses me off? Like, yeah, I love it. Okay. So one thing that I was able to do was get involved on a political level here in Arizona. There's a drug called naloxone that if somebody is in the middle of an opioid overdose, that they can get this drug either injected or they you spray it up their nose and they immediately come out of it. 
Yeah, it's pretty powerful. In a lot of states, I think at the time there was 42 or 43 states that had legalized it for lay people, lay persons to have it. So there's a lot of parents that have it in their house because they know that their kids are either, you know, messing around with Percocets or whatever, or actually, even if it's not necessarily parents, if I'm going to say this as a side note. So the fastest group that's ODing and dying from opioid overdose are age 45 and older men that are taking the prescribed amount from their doctor. So I'm pretty passionate about it. If anybody's taking anything that is in that family, like make sure you do your research and don't just take something because your doctor said that you should take it. Make sure, you know, you know your body, listen to your body, but also have naloxone handy because it saves people's lives. But in Arizona, it wasn't legal. And so we were getting it. We wanted to get it through the government here. And so I took my son who was 18 at the time and I had him go down and talk to the Senate Health Committee. And that was really cool because they started out saying, well, we're going to go ahead and push this off to the next session because they didn't have enough information. By the time my son and four other people spoke, they had enough information to pass it unanimously. So my 18-year-old who, you know, is a Bernie Sanders supporter big time got to see that his voice does matter in government and how he can get his voice heard and get things done the way that he wants them to be done. So that was pretty powerful. I love it. Yeah. And then they ended up, so the Arizona State Senate, they ended their session in May of this year. And we were calling and having everybody call and tweeting and doing all this stuff. And we ended up getting them to put this bill on the ballot. They passed it. It was the very last thing. I think they passed it at like 3.30 in the morning or something like that, Arizona time, and it passed unanimously. So to be able to get behind something that will save potentially thousands, if not more, of people's lives because I have you know, anger and frustration towards addiction, that would be an example for me of going in on something mm-hmm. that you know is really, it's not a happy thing. It's not a wonderful thing, but my passion right now, or one of them, you know? Yeah. No, and I think that's beautiful. I think it's that you're it's driving you towards the greater good and to go after then what you know would make an impact at one level on so many people's lives. Yeah, that's beautiful. For sure. And you know what what I'm thinking about? I think this is like a theme in my life. So mm-hmm. sixty seconds there again. Like I love having yeah. connected conversations with people. I love when people are in their body and I hate when people talk to you in their life thinking about a million other things. Yeah. Well let's talk a minute about your sixty seconds show. It sounds like this is one of the things that you meditation that you find totally helpful for yourself. So do you want to explain how that show works and like what you, I guess what you get out of it and and why, you know, why you feel like it's important, why you would encourage other people to listen to? Yeah, I think meditation is completely underutilized. It is one of the most impactful technologies that we have as human beings and I don't know if we've forgotten about it or if it's just something that we haven't even quite tapped into. So I have seen, literally, I've seen people that were supposed to go in for surgery for the next day and people like meditating and I want to say prayer, but it's not like a please make this happen. It's like a, like seeing the perfect end result kind of thing and putting that energy out there. So I have seen more than a few people that were supposed to go in for surgery. They went in the next day and whatever their issue was, was no longer an issue. So especially powerful when people come together. So that's one way of doing it, like a visualization thing. But for me, I started 60 seconds because my husband and I were going to therapy and his therapist kept telling him that he needed to meditate. And he's very type A, like way more than I am. And I just was laughing. I'm like, there's no way that my husband is going to sit down for 20 minutes 
or 30 minutes or 10 minutes. So one day we were driving to Sedona and I had the idea for 60 seconds of solitude. He thought it was really awesome. And I was like, hey, if I do one minute a day, like, will you listen to it? And he said he would. And so I started it, you know, going back to that. I want people to be in the moment. I want my husband to be in the moment and have connected conversations with me. I love it. I love that there's this beautiful, again, like completely love-based motivation of this. Like, and I mean the motivation in like an awesome way, not a, yeah, not a capitalist, you know, motivation way, but like, that's just so beautiful that that was where this came from. Isn't that funny? It's so cool that we are able to do this though. It blows my mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I started a mastermind with this lady, her and her husband have a podcast and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And she told me, you know, just start, just record yourself and you don't have to, you don't have to use it. You don't have to do anything. And it was the best advice ever. Like I had had my mic for over a year. I had all the information. I just wouldn't do it. And so, yeah, so I started 60 seconds and I linked it up with my Instagram account, which has been so cool. The podcast itself is about three minutes or a little bit over because I tee it up really quickly in the beginning and then I have a word every single day. And so it's a word that I invite people to either meditate on or just to spend that minute to just focus on their breath, like not even mm-hmm. think about anything. And what happens when you do that if, if for people that don't meditate is it's almost like when you have a question and then you forget about it and you take a shower or you're yeah. driving and all of a sudden the answer comes to you. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's what happens with meditating. And so I just love it. And, you know, I started it. I had 147 words. I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that. And I'm definitely keeping it going. I get to tell people like I've inspired over 25,000 minutes of solitude and peace, you know, mm, that is so awesome. So sometimes I go on Facebook and I'm like, okay, in the past month, I've inspired this much, you know, <laughs> meditation yeah. peace and happiness. What have you brought to the world? And so to put it like that, it's like too big. It's too big not to keep doing. Yeah, I love that too. And I love that the inspiration is around that it really only like needs to be a minute. It makes it so simple because meditation can seem rather daunting. And I mean, I know from my own practice, it seems like that there's when I started, it always, I assumed that there was like a right way and a wrong way to do this. But it turns out <laughs> guess what? There's, there's no right or wrong. <laughs> there's no right or wrong. The reason I started it with a minute I like the whole, you know, 60 seconds of solitude, but I had heard Dr. Wayne Dyer say 16 seconds a few times a day. You know, it's just bringing yourself into that awareness and bringing yourself into your body. And it doesn't take a lot. And you can change your relationships with your kids, with your family, you know, your husband, your spouse, who you're working with, everybody. And everything in our life is relationship. So it's just, it's too much fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I had sent little bits of Wayne Dyer in there. So I'm I'm glad that you brought him up. But like, yeah, it it really is like it's the connecting to source might be his Mm. word for I'm going back to that. That's exactly what it is. You know, it's just there's a quote that I did not come up with this, but I love it. It's prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. Yeah, so I love it. And I will link up to the 60 Seconds of Solitude in the show notes. Well, cool. So do you or would you please tell us where we can find you on the Internet and elsewhere? So probably the quickest way to get a hold of me, if you want to get a hold of me, would be 60 Seconds of Solitude on Instagram. Also, Addiction Support Podcast on Instagram. And on Twitter, I am Melissa S. Tucker. Awesome. Okay. 
Yeah, and I will link everything up. And thank you for being on the show. So let's jump to the last couple of questions that I love to ask everybody. Okay. If someone listening has a big dream about how they could make a change in the world, what advice would you give to them about bringing their dream into action? So the first thing is spend time dreaming about it and get really connected to how you're going to feel once that's real. What does it look like? What are you doing? What are you wearing? What are you eating? Who are you hanging out with? All of that. And then take action and it doesn't, it's not going to be perfect. Like it shouldn't be perfect. If it's perfect, you're not going big enough. So just do it no matter how messy it is and just start. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody else is already doing it, don't do it better than they're doing it. Do it different than they're doing it. Yeah. I love both those. Yeah. Cause perfectionism is the problem. <laughs> Admittedly for me that like, yeah, at one point in my life was very worried about, well, if it's not perfect, then I don't want to put it out there. But then perfection is, you know, it's all relative. So, yeah, don't wait. Don't wait. Because you can always go back. You can always tweak. Like, I just want to tell you, like, if you have something on your heart that you know you're supposed to go do the world, we need what you have to say or share or do. So stop holding yourself back and just go do it. Amen. (laughs) As my friend Michelle Ward says, amen and hallelujah. Okay. And last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Three ways. Okay. So I have this exercise that I do if I'm not feeling as excited as I want to feel because excitement's what actually like brings the vibration and makes everything happen for us. So I just squat down and jump up as high as I can and like raise my hands and yell, I'm excited. And I do that three times in a row. And that shifts the energy. I love it. <laughs> so those are my three things. I, I really change up your energy and go do it. it. Yes. You know, we're coming from responsible. You have the ability to respond. Mm, thank you so much, Melissa. This is just, it's been awesome. You're welcome, hon. Have a great evening. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being on the show. And thank you for bringing all of your love and compassion around this topic and around everything to the show today. If you guys want to check out show notes, you can go to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 43, and you'll see the show notes along with all the links out to Melissa and her two shows and her Instagram accounts. So be sure and check those out. And if you're looking for a life coach, I have a couple of openings for, I have a couple of openings for July for new clients. So if you're wanting to tackle some of those topics that seem big or you're feeling burnt out from your current situation and you want to just be able to explore what those things look like and what kind of change might be possible for you, uh, you can also go to jumpstartyourjoy.com and there's an easy scheduler, just a button at the bottom right hand corner of the site takes you right to my calendar and you can pick a time that works for you. The consultations are free and I would love to meet you. Next week on the podcast, episode 44 will be a solo cast with me and the topic will be around overwhelm, which is a huge topic right now and ties in to life balance and harmony and and how we can really start to think about overwhelm and what it might be telling us in our life. So come on back and catch that episode. Until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.